السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So uh, last week we did verses 2 and 3 of Surah Quraysh and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to finish off the tafsir of this Surah Surah Quraysh and then inshallah we're going to move on to um, Surah Al-Fibr in between that we're going to speak about some issues of tafsir methodology. So one of the things that we wanted to do this year, um, inshallah, in QP throughout the year, periodically, and something which we kind of started last year where we did uh, a session or two on Qiraat and some other sciences, is we want to continue with that, inshallah ta'ala, so that it's not just the lesson of tafsir, but it's also a lesson of tafsir methodology and usul al-tafsir, principles of tafsir, as well as some other ulum al-Qur'an, some other Qur'anic sciences that we will periodically bring in because it's important that we, we discuss some of that stuff inshallah ta'ala. So today we're going to try to speak about a couple of issues. Number one is, in terms of uh, tafsir methodology, number one is, or it's perhaps more related to Qur'anic sciences. But either way, um, the first issue is regarding the names of the surahs the names of the surah, because that's one of the most common things that we do, right? Especially in Juz Amma, every like few lessons, we're going on to a new surah, and at the beginning of each surah, I'll say, and it has a number of names, right? Surah Quraysh is known also as Li'ilaf, Quraysh, or Li'ilaf, and so on and so forth. So those names of the surahs of the Quran, and obviously if you look at the, the general mushaf, like the mushaf now that we have, if you take a physical copy of the Quran, and you would go to go to the index, and you were to look at the list of the names of the surahs, you would find that they are generally agreed upon. But if you go to the books of Tafsir, the classical books of Tafsir, you will find that they mention that there's more than one name for those surahs. So the question therefore is, are the names of the surahs of the Quran, are they tawqifi or ijtihadi? Meaning, are they, by, are they textual? Meaning the Prophet wasallam mentioned them by name, he gave allocated names to the surahs of the Quran, or is it something which the scholars use their own efforts to come up with a name right? and they derived and deduced those names by themselves that's the first issue and then inshallah if we have time we go on to the second issue which is therefore following on from that the order of the surahs of the quran from baqarah to nas is that ordering was the ordering set by the prophet because as we know the mushaf wasn't compiled and gathered in his time or is it something which the companions did later on for example in the time of uthman when he compiled the Qur'an into a single book, into a mushaf. So hopefully those are the two things that inshallah we'll go on to, inshallah today. But going back to Surah Quraysh uh, and verse number four, or the final verse of Surah Quraysh, last week we mentioned how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He reminds Quraysh of the great blessings that He bestowed upon them, not least of which is the blessing of Quraysh that was the true journeys of the, of the summer and the winter, the trade caravans that they would send to Asham and to Yemen and how an increase in blessing and how when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us more we should use those blessings to worship Allah azza wa jal more so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he reminds Quraysh in this surah of the many blessings that he bestowed upon them Allah says subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number three then let them worship the Lord of this house and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it a condition that he, that, he, that he says, فَلْيَعْبُدُوا رَبَّ هَذَا الْبَيْتِ 
And Allah Azza wa then goes on in verse number four and he explains, right? He continues uh, on from that verse and he says, Let them worship the Lord of this house, the one who fed them, gave them food after hunger. And he gave them security after fear. And Imam Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said in the tafsir of this verse. And now what Allah Azza wa is doing is he's giving them two more blessings that they were given. So Allah Azza wa begins by speaking about the blessing of the ilah fi Quraysh, their security, their unity, the different blessings that they had. Then Allah Azza wa mentions the blessings of them going to those two, uh, you know, those two journeys of the summer and the winter. And now Allah Azza wa in the middle, he says, let them worship the Lord of this house. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds them of even more blessings. Those, the one who gave them food after hunger, the one who gave them security after fear. And that's why some of the Salaf used to say, Rahimahumullah, that if you have these two things, if you have these two things, safety and security, and your daily provision, then that is enough for you, or it is as if you have everything that you need in order to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is two of the greatest blessings of Allah Azza wa Jal when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes you secure, gives you security. Why? Because when you're living in a state of fear and oppression and transgression, then and fear of persecution, then it's very difficult for you to focus your mind on worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The last thing from your mind is going to the masjid or attending a lecture. If it was, and may Allah Azza wa keep us and our community safe, but imagine if you lived in a place where some people do live in the world, that you live in a place where if you come out of your house, you're afraid that someone will shoot you. You're afraid that, uh, that someone will kill you. You're afraid that you're going to be imprisoned or locked up. Or even if you're in your house, you're afraid that a bomb will fall on you and blow up your house and blow up your family and blow up your children. Those are fears that some people live with. If you're living, if you're day and night and your existence and your morning and your evening, and every waking and sleeping moment of your life is those fears and those issues, then how would you have the, you know, how much uh, time and how much tranquility would you have in order to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And we see this practically in the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Those first 13 years where the Muslims are living under persecution, they're living under fear, they're living on, it's a very difficult time and they're going through challenge and hardship after challenge and hardship. And even in the early years of the Medinan period, where things have yes become easier and they are not as, as difficult as they were in Mecca, but they're constantly living under the fear of war and battle and attack. And so it becomes difficult to do what a person needs to do in terms of giving da'wah to Allah Azza wa Jal and so on. And that is why when the opportunity of the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah came, as we know, the Prophet wasallam took it and grasped it with both hands because of what it represented. And that is when you have safety and security, you don't fear for yourself or your family, you don't fear for your, for your livelihood, you don't fear, fear for, for your house and your accommodation, you don't fear the fear of attack, then it is something which allows you to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number two, that you have your daily provision. You have daily provision. It's enough for you to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you, you don't worry about where I'm going to get the next meal from. You're not worried about how am I going to feed my family and my children. You're not afraid of running out of food and water and so on because you have that security that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to you by way of risk, right? And so Allah mentions these two blessings. And that's because 
as we said, I think last week or maybe even the week before, the Quraysh lived in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. The Quraysh is a tribe in Arabia at a time when it is very common not to have those two things because many of the Arab tribes were poor, didn't have much wealth, didn't have much money, didn't have trade or commerce coming to them in their lands. So they were poor. And number two, they lived in the fear of attack. They lived out of fear of someone attacking them either internally, civil strife within amongst the clans and amongst the tribes where they lived or externally that others would come and they would attack them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds Quraysh of these two great blessings and that's why some of the Salaf said that they are from the two greatest blessings that allow people to worship Allah Azza wa And that's why Allah says, gives the command first and then he mentions the blessing. Let them worship the Lord of this house because he's already given them the two things that they need in order to be able to fulfill that and that is safety and provision. Al-Imam ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said he is the Lord of the house, the one who fed them from hunger and gave them security after fear. Meaning that he gave them security and he gave them food so that they would worship him alone and not associate anyone in worship with him in terms of idols or other gods besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why it is an appropriate response for someone that Allah Azza wa gives to them these blessings that they turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those who turn to Allah Azza wa in worship and they turn to Allah in trust and in dua and in reliance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them these blessings. And those who turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah removes from them these blessings. As Allah Azza wa mentions in the Quran in Surah Al-Nahl, verse 112 and 113, Allah sets forth the parable of a town. كانت آمنة مطمئنة. It was in safety and tranquility. يأتيها رزقها رغدا من كل مكان. Its provision would come to it easily from every direction. فكفرت بأنعم الله. فكفرت بأنعم الله. But it rejected Allah's blessings. Allah says. So Allah Azza wa Jalla gives to them blessings, and they reject the blessings of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. فأذاقها الله لباس الجوع والخوف بما كانوا يصنعون. So Allah enveloped them, made them taste al-ju' wal-khawf. The two things that Allah mentions in Surah Quraysh. Allah placed upon them poverty or uh, hunger, famine, and Allah Azza wa placed upon them fear as a result of that which they did. وَلَقَدْ جَاءَهُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْهُمْ فَكَذَّبُوهُ فَأَخَذَهُمُ الْعَذَابُ وَهُمْ ظَالِمُونَ And indeed there came to them a messenger from amongst them, but they rejected him. So the punishment came and took them and they were from the oppressors. So Allah Azza wa is speaking in the Quran of the exact opposite of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving to Quraysh. Allah is giving to them these blessings that they should worship Allah more. And then Allah Azza wa juxtaposes that in the Quran in Surah Al-Nahl with a people who were given those blessings though when they refused to acknowledge Allah's favors upon them and they rejected Allah's, Allah's favors upon them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned that into fear and he turned that into famine and into drought. There is a similar verse to this in the Quran also, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about how Allah Azza wa removes blessings from people who when they don't show gratitude, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already leads them to worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah Azza wa sometimes he removes those blessings. Anyone know? I mean there's a number of examples in the Quran.
like in Surah Al-Kahf, right, the story of the man with the two bottles. Right, he's given provision and he's given safety. Right? An kamalan wa right? I have more wealth than you and I have more people. Right? Meaning I have safety, I have security. Who is possibly going to come and take away from me my wealth? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes it from him when he turns away from Allah azza wa jal. And the words ju' and khawf in this verse are general terms. They are mentioned in the generic form. So Allah azza wa doesn't specify them. He doesn't say al-ju' or al-khawf. doesn't say a specific type of hunger, nor does he say a specific type of fear. Rather what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says is ju' he fed them from every or he saved them from every type of hunger and every type of famine and drought and he gave them safety and security from every type of fear and that's why it's mentioned in some of the books of tafsir the hadith in the Muslim that Imam Ahmad ta'ala, the hadith of Abu Hurairah the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-madina wal-makkah mahfufatani bil-malaika that towards the end of time, Mecca and Medina will be surrounded by angels. Upon every entrance, there will be an angel. And then he said that the Dajjal won't enter and plague won't enter. Neither plague nor the Dajjal will enter. Right? Why do the scholars mention this hadith when it comes to the tafsir of this verse? What's the Dajjal and the Ta'un got to do with it? The jal and the plague have to do with this verse. Yeah, because it is from the greatest forms of security that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects the people of Mecca and Medina from. And obviously Quraysh is, is, is from Mecca, right? So Allah Azza protects them from the jal and he protects them from plague. Right? And this is an example of that. And that's because you have um, a difference or you have some of the scholars it's not really a difference of opinion but some of the scholars they specify rather than making it generic they gave specific examples of what it means that Allah gave them food after hunger and he gave them security after fear they specified rather than keeping the verse generic so for example Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir he says it means that Allah azza wa fed them as a result of those two journeys that they made so when they would go and they would trade in the summer and the winter and they would get obviously money and from that money they would have provisions and food and drink and they would have wealth. That is what Allah Azza wa is referring to. So he's referring to that blessing of those two trades. And he said, and it is also said that the feeding that Allah Azza wa the food that Allah Azza wa is speaking about after hunger is what is mentioned in the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam made dua against Quraysh. And he said, Oh Allah, place upon them the years of famine like the years of famine that were given to the people of Yusuf alayhi salam. Right? Because in Surah Yusuf, obviously we have that story, the king sees a dream. And from the interpretation of that dream is that they will have a number of years of drought and famine. Oh Allah, place upon them the drought and famine as the drought and famine was given to the people of Yusuf. And so the narration says in the Bukhari that it became a difficult time. And drought and famine came. So they came to the Prophet وسلم, and they said, Oh Muhammad, make dua to Allah and we will believe. Meaning ask Allah to remove from us this drought and famine and we will believe. So the Prophet وسلم, did so and Allah removed from them the drought and famine that they had.
parentheses in Bukhari. So again, that is a specific example. Rather than making it generic, Imam al-Shawkani says that some of the scholars said that this is the specific incident that uh, is being referred to. Others said uh, it is referring to the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And this is, it is said this is narrated from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. So when Ibrahim alayhi salam leaves Ismail alayhi salam in Mecca as a child and his mother and he leaves him in that, in that barren desert land, from the du'as that he makes, as Allah mentions in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah, is and oh Allah, give to them provision from all of the fruits, meaning make easy for them their provision. And so that's what it's referring to. And then there is another opinion that you will find, or another example of what is being referred to, also mentioned in some of the books of Tafsir. And that is that it is said that Quraysh in the times of Jahiliyyah had a time of drought and famine. Had a time of drought and famine. And as they were experiencing this drought and famine, a group of people came from Habasha. What's Habasha? Abyssinia, right in those days. Abyssinia. And they came bringing them food and provision, coming to Mecca to provide for the people of Quraysh. When the people of Quraysh saw them, they became afraid that they had come to fight and attack them. So they became afraid that these people are coming to attack us because we're in a state of weakness. We have no food, we're going through drought and famine and so on. We're weak and susceptible to attack. And so they came out, the Quraysh came out of Mecca to defend it. But they found that the people of Habash of Abyssinia had come not with weaponry and not with soldiers, but rather with food and with drink for them. And so they gave them that food. And that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to, is referring to that specific incident. So this is, these are examples that you will find in the books of tafsir. However, as we said, Imam al-Tabari and others from amongst the scholars of tafsir, Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, and others, they said that the correct tafsir or the strongest tafsir is that it is generic. That Allah Azza wa Jal saved them from every type of drought and famine. That Allah Azza wa always provided for them. Allah Azza wa always gave them food. And we mentioned last week in the story of Hashim, right, the great-grandfather of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, some of the things that it said that he did in order to make, you know, to help like almost a social welfare system for the people of Mecca, where he would have the wealthy help the poor. He would have the wealthy help the poor and they would share the provision with one another. Ibn Zayd said, in terms of وَآمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفِ So that's the feeding, right? The feeding from hunger. وَآمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفِ And he gave them security after fear. Ibn Zayd said, Rahimahullah, and that's because the Arabs used to always attack one another. And it was not uncommon that they would enslave one another. So the, the people that win or the tribe that wins would take slaves from the tribe that was defeated. But Quraysh was saved from all of this because of their position uh, as custodians of the Haram because of their positions of the custodians of the Haram and the Kaaba. So it's very common and obviously as we know Quraysh themselves had slaves. Right? They had slavery was, uh, was common in the city of Mecca itself. But you will not come across the Quraysh themselves being enslaved right? or the Quraysh being attacked in that way or the Quraysh having those types of issues that other Arab tribes had and that's because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his blessings upon them. Others from amongst the scholars of, of, of Tafsir, Al-Dahaq, Al-Rabi' Sufyan, they said that it's referring to how Allah Azza wa Jal saved them from the army of the elephants. 
And we mentioned in the first lesson that we did in the tafsir of Surah Quraysh, how the scholars mentioned that there is that close link between these two surahs, Al-Fil and Quraysh, to the extent that some of them even said that it is a single surah. Right? And that's why, um, and some of them said it refers to, again, the dua of Ibrahim. Because Ibrahim alayhi salam, what's also interesting and it relates to this surah, is Ibrahim alayhi salam also made dua for the people of Mecca to have safety from these two things or to have to not have not be susceptible to the two things that Allah mentions in Surah Quraysh so that they don't have drought and famine so he made dua for them and oh Allah provide for them give them from fruits and provision and he also made the dua that Allah keeps them safe right oh Allah make this land make this city a secure place a place of safety and security right and so Quraysh benefits and Mecca obviously benefits from those du'as of Ibrahim السلام, and that is why when the Prophet وسلم, went to Medina one of the things that he did as is mentioned in the hadith in Bukhari is that he made du'a for Medina and he says that I make du'a for Medina as my father Ibrahim السلام, made du'a for Mecca right and that's to show obviously the status of those two places Yes. Yeah, yeah, the two different du'as. Um, yeah. So, and this is this is also narration from Ibn Abbas, right? So the one uh, about food, that du'a, it's also from the narration of Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhum, and this is also from the narration of Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhum. Uh, another said al-Amash, as we said, and others, they said that it is from the safety that Allah gave them from the uh, the, the the army of the elephants. Others, like Sufyan al-Thawri, said that Allah Azza wa preserved them from plague and from those types of diseases, right? Those types of diseases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them safety from that. And it is said that Ali radiallahu anhu said that Allah Azza wa made them, gave them security in the sense that the Khalifa would always be from them. So it's not security as in safety, but he secured their place, their position, their status. So he gave them security as in he secured their position and their place. And as we mentioned last week, we have those ahadith that say and state that the Khalifa will be from the people of Quraysh, right? Uh, but as we said, the, the, the strongest opinion in all of that is that these are just examples, right? That they are examples of how Allah Azza wa gave them food and how Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala gave them safety. And the way that we reconcile as we often do in tafsir, and I think as we've learned by now, one of the principles of tafsir, is that often in tafsir, there is really a contradiction, or there is not often a contradiction. But often what it is, is that it is different examples saying the same thing. So they are complementary, not contradictory. And that's why Imam Al-Tabari, Rahimahullah, and Ibn Kathir and others, they said that it is generic. All of this is included and more. How Allah Azza wa favored the people of Quraysh with food, with provision, be that from the people who came externally, be that from the, the tijara and the trade that the Quraysh had themselves, or be that from anything else, and Allah Azza wa gave them safety and security, be that from the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam, or from how Allah Azza wa saved them from the, the army of the elephants, or from anything else that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them safety from. And there is no doubt that Quraysh had a special, special position, and that special position is so that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he comes, he will come to a people who are respected amongst all of Arabia. And he's already given that position and that status. Right? And that's why in the hadith 
when Sufyan, uh, Abu Sufyan عن, before he becomes a Muslim, he goes to the leader of Rome, the Caesar of Rome. He asks him these questions, right? Who is Muhammad amongst you? Is he from a noble family, not a noble family? What's his position? And that's because the people of Arabia and outside of Arabia, these are the things that they will look at. What's his background? What's his lineage? Is he known for to have honorable virtues? And so on and so forth. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is from the preparation of the coming of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Any questions as we come to the conclusion of Surah Quraysh? So didn't we last week like ask whether the, the Ottomans were yeah. were from Quraysh or not or what they did someone look at into that? I should set many assignments, right? Because we have all of these tangents and I think someone should research this stuff. And then I probably wouldn't get any questions because you'd all be like, I don't want to research anything. But I think it's good, it's beneficial to like know this kind of stuff. Um I mean that's the generic thing. It's not a, it's not like uh, uh obviously it doesn't refer to like kings. And presidents and prime ministers, we're talking about the, the overall khilafah, right? and that's generally like considered to be one of the, but that's obviously also on the condition that they're there, and they're present, and that there's amongst them someone who can take that role, right? Because the Quraysh in our time are like few, right? There's not many who, and Quraysh as a tribe isn't really there anymore, it's not like as it was before, right? So, you know, you have many tribes, but you don't really hear someone says, oh, Qurashi, right? And even those who are, you know, claim to be from the family of the Prophet ﷺ, his descendants, they don't really say that they're Quraysh like that, right? Even though, as we said, they, you know, we still have the descendants of the the, the keyhole of the Kaaba, <coughs> Uthman ibn Talha, they're still around. So you have people who are originally from the tribe of Quraysh, right? But even they, from what I know, they don't really call themselves Quraysh. The reason why I'm asking is because surely everyone in Islam, they would follow this. Yeah. Yeah, which is why I was asking, right? <coughs> no, no, so uh, that's why I was asking, right? When did that happen? Where, if it happened, because we really only have like three major uh, Khilafah states, right? We have the Umayyads and the Abbasids and the Uthmanis, right? And you have others, but they are like smaller, they're not like a global Khilafah like that. So the Umayyads obviously are Qurashis, right? And the Abbasids are Qurashis. So we only have the, the Uthmanis. So we need to find that one out, inshallah. I'm going to give that to you. That's your job. Next week. Okay. Okay, so any questions? Also, the Prophet made dua, right? So the one that we mentioned, the Dragon family that occurred in the time of the Prophet is because of the dua of the Prophet against Quraysh. It happened in the time of Umar. Globe generally in the Ummah, it's happened. Yeah. It's happened that they've had Dragon family in Medina and in, and in those places. So it's not the, the verses, the, the Surah is not saying that it's never going to happen. Because even the Quraysh have times of fear. So the fact that the army of Elephants is coming to the Kaaba is a kind of fear for them. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always gave them a way out. Right? Just as with the Ummah, it's had periods of fear and had periods of drought and famine. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always you know, given them a way out of that.
And that's what makes you more appreciative of those blessings. It's not like when you don't have them. No. Those challenges and those trials come because they remind you and they make you more grateful to Allah subhanahu wa Why does it have the sound off? Yeah, the iu. Okay, so the question is, why does the sound iu come? Min iu. The ayn has two kasras, and after it is a well. Obviously, it's because you're joining into the vowel, right? Whenever there's a shadda, what it is, is actually it's two letters. The first one with the sukoon, and the second one with the haraka, which in this case will be the fatha. What the shadda does is it merges them. That's what a shadda does, right? So it merges the two into one. Because the Arabs have this thing that they don't like to do things which are difficult to pronounce. So they make it easier. But it's, it's effectively one vowel, though. Oh, that's an interesting question. I said the army of the elephants in the plural. Was it one elephant? Was it more than one elephant? Not that we're on that surah yet. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. So what are we saying? <laughs> there was one main one? There's like one leader elephant. The question is, was there one elephant in the army or multiple elephants? This is one elephant. Let's, let's show some democracy. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he might end up in the Supreme Court. Uh, <laughs> one elephant or multiple? We'll come on to that, obviously, inshallah, uh, when you come to it. But it is an interesting question. Right, because in the surah, what is the surah? Surah al-feel. Right? The ashab al-feel. Yeah. And the feel is singular, not the plural. So is it singular? Or is it singular in terms of it's referring to not not one as in a single elephant, but it's it's the name for the for the species. Right? It's referring to more than one, but it's just separate. Right? Because you can do it in Arabic, you can do it in English. I don't I don't think you really have that. Other maybe like sheep or some words where you can refer to one and you can refer to, to like a group. We normally have like you just add an S. But in Arabic language you can do that. It's called Ismu Jins. And Ismu Jins means it's the name of the species, right? But it's you only say it in the singular form. So and obviously as you can see by that there will be a different sound to it. That we will come to inshallah. There's a joke. All right. All right. I, haven't, I haven't come across that in the books of Tafsir. <laughs> Do you want to say this on mic? Do you want to say this on the mic? No, I don't think I'm going to be repeating it. 
is that true? Anyway, I, I, I would, I don't think that's an authentic narration. <laughs> yeah, I don't even have to go through like books of hadith for that one. Anyway, I'm sorry about that. Anyway, okay. Anyone else? <laughs> Any other jokes? Okay. So let us go on to um, what I wanted to go on to in terms of some. Uh, what time is Aisha actually? Okay. So let us go on to inshallah this issue of um, what I wanted to do in terms of seeing methodology. So as we kind of started last year, but we did this towards the end of the year, um, and, and something that I want to do inshallah this year more of is uh, tafsir methodology, usul al-tafsir and so on. Because it's not just enough that we learn tafsir and we study tafsir, and which is obviously good and it's beneficial and so on. But it's also important if we're going to be serious students of tafsir, to understand the methodology that the scholars of tafsir have in their tafsir. Right? And so one of the things that we'll be looking at is some issues of usul al-tafsir. And we did some of this. Like we don't normally dedicate a whole lesson or a chunk of lesson, but we'll mention some of those principles as we're going uh, through. And, and going across some, some of the issues that we, we, um, we read and we study about. And I also want to, inshallah, this year, like in intervals, go through what is called Manahij al Mufassiri, which is the methodologies that the different scholars of tafsir have employed in their tafsir. So I want to look into some depth, for example, to take tafsir al Tabari, right, and to look at that in depth. How does Imam al Tabari approach tafsir? Because if you were to read a Tabari, and you know, I can appreciate, I don't think it's in English, right? But I can, so I appreciate that it's not in English. But if you were to, to look at his tafsir, you know, he will, he has very interesting terms that he uses, right? And one of the, the uh, you know, like for example, an, an interesting uh, topic of tafsir is to look at ijma' amongst mufassirin. When do the scholars of tafsir have ijma', consensus, unanimity upon a single issue? It's not like fiqh. Right? Fiqh is relatively easy because either number one, scholars will explicitly state that there is ijma on this issue, or number two, you just know because there's no other opinion. Right? All of the scholars only said one thing. In tafsir, you often find this in the um, whether the surah is Makki or Madin. So you will find this, they will say, right? It is a Makki surah by ijma, like meaning no scholar of tafsir said anything other than it is a Makki surah. Or, it is a Madani Surah. And that's relatively easy to do as well. But as we've seen in Tafsir itself, the actual Tafsir, because the methodology and because the general principle amongst the scholars of Tafsir is that they don't have the same wording. But what they do is they give Tafsir by way of example. And it is rare that one person or many people will use the same example to give the Tafsir on the same verse. So you may have two or three or four people, because that's what we often do, right? I'll say to you, that's the, you know, the Ibn Abbas and Mujahid and Ikrim and Hassan said this. But then, no, a Sha'bi said something else. And a Tabari gave another example. And someone else gave another example. So their examples, in essence, are the same. Right? As we said, the tafsir is the same, but they're giving examples. And that makes it very difficult to say when there is ijma'. Why? Why does it make it difficult to say there is ijma'? Because they give different examples and what that actually practically means is you must go through each and every single one of them and actually think and analyze, is that actually complementary or is there a contradiction there? Is there 
an opposition there? Is there a difference of valid, a valid difference of opinion there, right? And that so it's not like uh, it's not like fiqh, right? Because if the scholar says it's it's wajib, it's wajib, right? And it's e pretty easy to narrow down those who say it's wajib. And if someone says it's not wajib, it's mustahab. It's pretty easy to narrow that down. But when people are speaking in examples, are those examples actually referring to the same thing? Or is there actually some difference between them whereby we can't say that they agree completely on that issue, right? And so it becomes, but that's like an interesting, you know, like side point of studying the manahij al-mufassin. So the point was being that Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, he has very interesting terms that he uses, right? And he says, um, you know, he says, uh, for example, he says, this is the tafsir of Ahlul Ta'wil. Right? And this is the tafsir that I know of from the scholars of tafsir. Now, if you were to read that statement, sometimes it may sound like there's ijma' because he says, this is the tafsir of the scholars of tafsir. But is, does that mean that it's actually, like in his own manhaj, in his own methodology, does that mean that there is agreement on that issue? Or only that this is the opinion of the vast majority of the scholars and those who differ are very few to the extent that he doesn't really mention them. Right? And this is actually common in the tafsir of Imam al-Tabari, that you will find if you go back to other books of, of tafsir, tafsir of Sufyan al-Thawri, tafsir of Ibn Abi Hatim, tafsir of others, you will find different opinions that Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah doesn't mention. He'll only take two or three opinions or two or three uh, statements from the scholars that all say more or less the same thing. And those scholars who say other things, he doesn't really go there. Is that because he doesn't consider them to be worthy of mention or is it because he considers them to be so far off the mark that it's not really something that's going <coughs> What is the reason? And this is what, what we call manahij al-mufassineen. Right? What is it that he's going to, what's his methodology? What is it that he's going to focus on? What is it that he considers to be, to be important? Right? What is it that he, that he considers to be a valid tafsir and so on? So we want to do that inshallah, you know, periodically. I want to go through some of the famous books of tafsir, tafsir of al-Tabari, Tafsir al-Qurtubi, Tafsir ibn Kathir, uh, you know, maybe then even some like al-Shawkani, Ibn Atiyah, like the classical tafsir, and especially those um, that focus uh, predominantly on Tafsir al-Ma'thur, which is Tafsir by narrations. So the Tafsir is full of narrations of the scholars and the companions and the tabi'een and so on. And then maybe, you know, if you have time, we'll, we'll maybe even do Tafsir like Ibn Ashur and some of the other ones that are more linguistic and there are others that inshallah we can see what they're focusing on as well. Not only because, um, you know, I think it's important to do, but it actually broadens your horizons and gives you a great appreciation of tafsir. Because tafsir is an amazing, you know, it's an amazing science. And each one of those books of tafsir is an ocean in itself. Right? It's very difficult to like read a full book of tafsir once and understand it. It's something which requires like, you know, I don't know how many times you have to go over that over and over and over again because of, how many tangents there are and how many small issues are mentioned and how many different points are mentioned. And then reconciling between them as well. Reconciling between, for example, Imam Qurtubi will mention Ibn Abbas had this opinion. But Imam Al-Tabari Ibn Kathir says, no, Ibn Abbas said this. Now, does Ibn Abbas have both? Or is there a mistake somewhere? And, you know, which student narrated which? Like, that's like a whole different, um, you know, thing that someone could do as well. But anyway, so that's inshallah something which we want to do inshallah periodically throughout this year. But what I want you to begin with is, is perhaps more an issue of ulum al-Qur'an and the science of the Qur'an. And that's because I think this was a question that's, that was asked I think last year, if I remember correctly. And I gave like a very short answer and I didn't really go into, into the detail of it. 
but it's something which scholars have, um, or, or especially like scholars of contemporary times, have actually gone and researched this issue in more detail. And that is, the names of the surahs of the Qur'an. Are the names of the surahs of the Qur'an, are they tawqifi? What does tawqifi mean? Okay, tawqifi means it's through revelation. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose it, or the Prophet sallam chose it, right? It's by revelation. So for example, if the Prophet wasallam says, the name of Surah Baqarah is Surah Baqarah. And that's mentioned in the hadith, right? The Prophet named Surah Al-Baqarah as Al-Baqarah. Right? That's not Tawqifi. Right? It's something which the Prophet named. So we don't really need to come, and that's why you, uh, you know, even though there are more than, you know, there are other names that Surah Al-Baqarah is known by, its most famous name and the one that it's most well known by is Surah Al-Baqarah. You don't really need to go and say, oh, Surah Alif Lamim, Dharika Al-Kitabu La Raybafi, right? You know that it's Surah Al-Baqarah. Right? Is it Tawqifi? That's Tawqifi. Tawqifi means and waqf in the Arabic language linguistically means what? To stop. So tawqifi means stop right there, right? Allah said, the Prophet said, you don't need to go beyond that. Or is it ijtihadi? What does ijtihad mean? Ijtihad means that the scholars have made a concerted effort to derive and deduce a ruling. So just as they deduce rulings, they deduce names of the surahs and so on, right? Is it something which is ijtihadi? And actually what you will find is in many of the books of Ulum al-Qur'an, this is mentioned but it's not, it's not uh, something which is delved into great detail. So you have some issues in Ulum al-Qur'an, some of the sciences of the Qur'an, you find like a great amount of detail, like Qira'at, and like, you know, like some of the other famous like, issues that the scholars mention, you know, they'll go through in detail, the compilation of the Mus'haf, and they go through into that in, in like a, a great amount of detail. This is an issue which is mentioned, but it's not something which the scholars like focus on deeply, right? And I think and Allah Azza wa knows best, but perhaps one of the reasons is because it's more or less become an issue of ijma' in the sense that there's, there's consensus on this. So this, you know, it's like a theoretical issue now more than it is a practical issue. Because even if we say that all of the names of the surahs are ijtihadi, the companions are the ones who place those names. They said that Surah Taha should be called Taha, and Maryam should be called Maryam, and Yusuf should be called Yusuf, and Hud should be called Hud, and Ibrahim, Ibrahim, and so on and so forth, 114 surahs. What happened after that? The Ummah agreed upon it. Right? The Ummah agreed upon it, and it became something which they all accepted. Or even if there is a difference, it's something which the Ummah accepted also. Like Surah Isra is known also as Surah Bani Israel. Right? So it's something which they accepted. Surah Tawbah is also known as Surah Bara'a. So it's something which they accepted. And so therefore it's like, you know, it's, it's more or less an issue of ijma' anyway, right? And so therefore, and perhaps and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best, but perhaps that's one of the reasons why they don't really go into so much detail because it doesn't really have what they call a thamara, right? A fruit at the end of it. It's not really a practical benefit or application whereby if you say, oh, it's ishtihadi, that means, oh, now me and you can make up different names. We're not going to do that anyway, right? The names of the surahs are those that have been mentioned, and they are the ones that, that are most famously known, right? And even as we go through, sorry, just one second, even the names that we often mention in our tafsir class, so I'll say, for example, Surah Quraysh is also known as Li'ilafi Quraysh or Li'ilafi, that's because it's mentioned in the classical books of tafsir, right? Or the classical books of hadith, like Imam al-Bukhari or Tirmidhi, or others will mention this in their chapter of tafsir of that surah. But it's not something which has a practical application in the sense that most of us are still going to call it Surah Quraysh, no one's going to go around and start calling it Surah Li'ilafi Quraysh, right? It's more or less become an issue of 
of ijma' in that sense, right? In practical ijma' if you like, right? In the sense that no one is going to really change any of that around. Yeah. Uh, so, so this, the, the example you mentioned the first ayah, rather than being a name, could it not be a description of a way of... What's that, sorry? So rather than saying that, you know, Surah Al-Ilah Quraysh is the name of the Surah, you know, by ijma', could it not also be said it's a way of describing the Surah and just sort of getting someone to indicate that this is the Surah I'm talking about without actually calling, giving that a name? So, which is common, right? So, the question is, rather than it being a name, is it not a description? When you say Surah Al-Ilaf Quraysh, it's a description. One of the things that you will find also in some of the books of Tafsir is that it says, Surah Al-Ladhi Yudhkaru Fihi, or Surah Al-Ladhi Yudhkaru Fiha Al-Quraysh, or Ashab Al-Feel. The Surah in which it is mentioned, the elephant, or Quraysh. Right? And they add that, in which it is mentioned. And there is a narration that you shouldn't say Surah Baqarah or Surah Ali Imran, rather you should say the Surah in which it is made. But that's a weak narration. It's not an authentic narration. But some of the scholars of the city will find that that's what they do. Right? So they will say that by way of description. It's the Surah in which Ali Imran is mentioned. The Surah in which the Baqarah is mentioned. The Surah in which, and so on and so forth. It's a bit like when someone gives another difference between the Tasmiya and the Basmiya, and they just say no. Yeah. But it's still a name. Yeah. It's still a name. If, even if you say Surah Al-Ilaf Quraysh, that's still a name. You're still calling it by a name. Right? Um, and so, it's, it, it, for all intents and purposes, it still becomes a name. Okay. So, so this is the question that we're, we're trying to deal with. Right? This is the issue that we have. So, the first point is that there is no doubt... <coughs> And it is an issue of that is very clear in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that there are certain surahs of the Quran that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned by name. He mentioned them by name. And inshallah, when we come to the end of this, I will go through those the names of the surahs that I have found and Allah knows best. And maybe that's something else that someone can help research. The everyone's looking down, no one's looking at me. But anyway, the the surahs in which there is an authentic hadith. That it's mentioned by name. And what do I mean that it's mentioned by name? You have, for example, in Surah, the hadith concerning the virtue of Surah Al-Mulk. Right? What does the Prophet say? There is a Surah of the Quran in which there are 30 verses. Whoever reads them at night will be saved from, from what? The punishment of the grave. It is Surah, what does the hadith say? No. It doesn't say Surah Mulk. It says it is Surah. So those hadith, I, I don't mention. Why? Because that's not the name that we know it by. Right? That's very common in tafsir, right? I prayed behind Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu and he read, Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuk. He read li ilafi Quraysh. That's what, what's common, right? In the books of tafsir, as we said, that they would name the surah after the first verse or a portion of the first verse if the first verse is very long. Right? It's surah, inna a'tayinak al-kawthar. So that's not what we're referring to, right? Or the names that the companions gave to If the narration is from a companion, even if it's authentic, I didn't mention it. Because that's the, the companions, right? And that's like something which we'll come on to. If the companions gave a name to a surah, does that mean that the surah is something which they came, or is that something which the Prophet ﷺ would have told them? But perhaps they didn't narrate it as a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ. Like it's something which they learned from him, and they took from him, is it therefore, is it the case that the companions would speak about the, the surah, a surah of the Qur'an and give it a name by themselves 
Or is it something which they would have taken from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? But anyway, that's a, that's like a separate issue. So the first point is therefore the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. There are authentic hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave surahs of the Quran names, and he named them. He called them a name, not the first verse, not the portion of the first verse. He actually gave them a name, right? And the most famous example of this is Baqarah and before that Fatiha. Right, Fatiha is given a number of names, Sab'ul Mathani, Al-Qur'an Al-Azim, all of those. Those are like hadith that speak about the different names of Surah Fatiha Al-Kitab, right, Umm Al-Qur'an. These are Umm Al-Kitab, these are the names of Surah Fatiha that it's known by. And so it's something which is mentioned authentically in a hadith. So there is no doubt about that, right? And you know, we'll go through them, but they are limited in number. The ones that I found that are authentic hadith are maybe like, I don't know, 10 or less maybe that are authentic. And even the ones, if you were to add the ones that are not authentic, the hadith that are weak and so on, I think there's still like only 20 or 30 out of 114, where you have the Prophet saying, this is the, the name of the surah and whatever, whatever. And sometimes you have a hadith in which the Prophet does both, which I find very interesting. Just from a, you know, like a, a study point of view, an academic point of view, a hadith point of view, where there is a hadith in which the Prophet does both. He mentions a surah, some surahs by a name, the names that we come to know it by, and others by, by a description, or not by a description, but by the first verse. Right? Does anyone know of an example for that? This was in a Maghrib class and I had sweets and stuff together. This would be one of those ones where I'd throw something at you if you got it right. You're not getting anything. There's a hadith in which the Prophet or there are some times where the Prophet mentions the names of certain surahs but gives them names. Like Al-Baqarah, Al-Imran, gives them names. In the same hadith, he'll mention another surah, but rather than giving it a name, he'll mention it and describe it with the first verse. In the same hadith. All right, anyway, <laughs> we'll leave that until we come to it, inshallah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so that's the first issue, right? So there's no doubt the Prophet ﷺ, there are certain surahs of the Quran, he gave them names, right? He, told, he mentioned them by name. The issue, therefore, is what about the rest of the surahs? So if there's 10, 15, 20, whatever it may be, that are authentic, that we know of, that are established in the Sunnah, what about the other 100-odd, right? 90-odd, 80-odd surahs of the Quran? Who gave them their names? And that's where the difference of opinion amongst the scholars came in. And that's where you have the two positions. Are they from the Prophet Are they tawqifi? Or are they ijtihadi? Are they from the, uh, from the uh, efforts of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'in? The first opinion, and it is the opinion of, uh, I have written here, akthar al-ulama, the majority of the scholars. Right? And when I was researching this and I was looking at the different people that have researched this issue and so on, they say that this is the opinion that is attributed to the majority of the scholars who have written on this topic and who have mentioned this topic. And that is that the names of the surahs of the Quran are tawqifi. <coughs> they are from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They are from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Al-Imam al-Tabari rahimahullahu ta'ala said, and this is, so this is something which Al-Imam al-Tabari mentions in his tafsir. He doesn't mention it as I said in detail, as an, uh, an issue of ulum al-Qur'an. He doesn't go into it into a, like a separate study chapter 
going into this issue in detail. It's something which he mentions in passing. He says, لِسُوَرِ الْقُرْآنِ أَسْمَاءٌ سَمَّاهَا بِهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ The surahs of the Qur'an have names that were given to them by the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Al-Imam Zarqashi رحمه الله تعالى said, and there is a famous issue amongst which the scholars differ concerning the names of the surahs. Are they tawqifi? Or are they names that are derived based upon the theme of the surah, the message of the surah? So if you have Surah Baqarah, Surah Baqarah speaks about how many messages, how many different stories, how many different themes, how many different subjects. Like hundreds, right? It's like going through constantly so many things. Are the names of the surahs taken from the Prophet or are they something which is taken based upon what the themes of the surahs are? He says that if it is the latter, the second, meaning that it's something which is taken based upon subject and reading and, and just like people's individual deductions, he said then a person could say, that each surah would have had hundreds of names because every scholar would have come or different companions would have come and done what? They would have taken from it a different message that they would have considered to be the main message of that surah. Right? Like Surah Nisa, Surah Ma'ida, Surah Al-Ham, Araf, these are very long surahs. Why name the whole surah after that? Right? And similar to that also is, for example, if you were to look at surah like Surah Hud, right? uh, Surah Hud, why is it called Surah Hud? Because it mentions the Prophet Hud but it also mentions Nuh and it also mentions Salih and it also mentions Lut and it also mentions Shu'ib and it also mentions Ibrahim Why then is it Surah Hud? So the, the, do you understand what these scholars are saying? That if it was open to interpretation like that or open to different scholars deriving different names then what was there to stop other scholars coming and saying and actually in Surah Hud the story of Nuh is longer in Surah Hud than the story of Hud The story of Nuh is longer in more detail mentioned than the story of Hud So why didn't the scholar come and say it's called Surah Nuh or Surah Salih or Surah yeah, and so on and so forth. And Imam Al-Suyuti Rahimahullah Ta'ala said and all of the Names of the surahs of the Quran have been mentioned in narrations, either from the Prophet or from the companions. And worry not that that would be too long to narrate, I would have mentioned it in my book, and this is his book in Alum Quran called Al Itqan. And Al Tahir ibn Ashur rahimahullah ta'ala said, And as for the names of the surahs of the Quran, then they are taken from Wahi, from revelation. And the reason why they were given names so, so that it is easy to mention them and easy to refer to them. And this is also mentioned in his. Tafsir. They have a number of evidences that they use for this. Um, the first of them, and I haven't mentioned most of them because the narrations that they have that specify this, most of them there is some weakness in them. In terms of narration, in terms of hadith, there is weakness in them. But for example, one of them is the hadith that is mentioned in some of the books of Sunan, like Abu Dawood and in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad. Abdullah ibn Abbas عنهما, said that I came to Uthman ibn Affan and I said, why did you make bara'a and it is from the surahs that come after the seven long surahs why did you make it with the surah anfal and you didn't write between them bismillah rahman rahim Uthman radiallahu an said because the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam when the quran would be revealed to him and verses of the quran would be revealed to him he would call us and he would say write this there and place this over there 
and that is how I compiled the Quran. Right? And obviously Abdullah ibn Abbas, even though he's a companion, he's a relatively young companion. And Uthman ibn Affan obviously is one of the senior companions and one of the oldest of them. Right? And so Abdullah ibn Abbas takes a lot of his knowledge from the senior companions of the Prophet. And this is a hadith which many of the scholars said is da'if, but some of the scholars like Ibn Kathir and Imam Tirmidhi and Al Mubarak Fori, who wrote a commentary, his, his, his commentary on uh, At Tirmidhi, they all said that this hadith is Hassan and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. But there is a hadith that is authentic, uh, and it is the hadith of Wathila ibn al Asqa that the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I have been given in place of the Torah the seven long surahs, and in place of the Psalms, the Ma'in, and in place of the Injil, the, the Gospel, Al Mathani. And then I have been given, as extra above this, the rest of the surahs of the Qur'an. And that is an authentic hadith. Why are they mentioning these as, as proofs? Because the fact that there are surahs that have been obviously placed into these different categories. You have the seven long surahs. If the names of the surahs weren't known, how would you know which ones are the long, seven long surahs? Right. And it's not by length necessarily, because Anfal, after Anfal, there are surahs that are longer than Anfal. Right? And so it's not necessarily the case that it is by length also. So they say, therefore, the Prophet ﷺ gave them names and they were known with name, by name, to the companions. And that's why when they would say, the seven long surahs, they understood what that referred to. And they said it is the Ma'in or the Mathani or the Mufassal. These were terms, and that is how they used to, as we mentioned uh, last year in QP, it's how they would categorize the Quran. Before we had Juz and we had, before we had all of these normal terminologies, they had a different way of categorizing the Quran or splitting up the Quran. They would go through it in a different way. But they understood, therefore, what it is that these terms refer to. And obviously, if it's mentioned by the Prophet, therefore, it is something which he himself allocated, it's something which he himself gave meaning to. So that's the first opinion. And as we said, that is the opinion of the majority. Other scholars said that no. The names of the surahs of the Qur'an, other than those that are clearly mentioned in the hadith, which are, as we said, a few, a handful, a dozen or so, the rest of them were named by the companions of the Prophet right. And there are many narrations in the books of tafsir, and we often do this like when we go to the beginning of the surah, and we say, Ibn Abbas call it this, right? And the companions, there are many narrations from the companions that they would have names for the surahs and they would name them in a certain way. And that is very common in, uh, in the books of Tafsir and in the books of Hadith. So these scholars said that because the narrations are few and far between, few and far between from the Prophet that are authentic, therefore the vast majority of those names were given by who? They were derived and given by the companions of the Prophet And this is the opinion of a number of scholars, especially in our time, the, um, the Council of Senior Scholars in Saudi Arabia, this is their opinion. Shaykh Baz rahimahullah ta'ala, this is his opinion, that it is ijtihad from the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That it's something which they came through. Why? As we said, number one, because you don't find authentic hadith that mention each and every single name of the surah. And number two, another reason that they gave or another evidence to support this is because you do find differences of opinion amongst the companions regarding the name of the surah. Right? So we'll say, for example, it is mentioned that the name of the surah is Alam Tarakifa. Right? Or it is Surah Al-Feel. Or it is Surah Ashab Al-Feel. Right? 
meaning that it has a number of names. So therefore, if the Prophet gave it a name, why would the companions come and choose other names for it? Right. So they say, therefore, that it's something which the Prophet didn't give names to each and every single surah, but rather he gave names to some of them, and the others were known by the first verse. And so on. And then the companions came and they gave them names and they became well known by those names and Allah knows best. And what seems to be um, the case and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best is that there is no doubt as we said that there are surahs of the Quran that have their names established in the Sunnah. And then there are surahs of the Quran that have names that are authentically reported from the companions, right? That they know, know them by certain names. Um, and I personally lean more towards the first opinion, the opinion of the majority of the scholars and Allah knows best. That seems to to uh, to have more weight in terms of evidence and in terms of uh, even the companions understanding which surah is what and what surah is and, and being being referred to and so on. Just because a surah has more than one name doesn't mean that those names didn't come from the Prophet Or it's not something which they were known by during that time. Because as we've said, Surah, Baqa, Surah Fatiha has many names. And they are mentioned in the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yeah, it's clearly the one. I just said to you, a uh, question that I asked you before was that there is a hadith in which there is surahs that are mentioned by name and surahs that are mentioned by first verse. That was a common practice. So if, 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 the, if, the, if the companions are referring to a surah by its first verse, then that doesn't have to come from the Prophet. That's the Quran, right? So when you say surah in that's very clear. What we're saying though is when the companions name those surahs. So you have, for example, they said surah hashar, right? Surah ma'ida, surah anfal, surah tawbah, right? Those are names that they heard from the Prophet, they took from the Prophet. But what I'm saying also is that that doesn't mean that a surah cannot be referred to at the same time by its first verse. Yeah, it's a name. Yeah. No, why is it from Rasul? It is essentially from Rasul because it's Quran. All of the Quran is from Prophet. <coughs> No, the position is that the Prophet gave every single surah a name. Yeah. No, because the Prophet can give a surah more than one name. That's what we're saying, right? So Baqarah has more than uh, one name. Yeah, like Surah Hashar. Surah Hashar ibn Abbas has asked about it. He said it is Surah Ban Nadir. Right? So they gave it more than one name. So the fact that it's given more than one name doesn't negate it from being something which was well known at the time of the Prophet And Allah knows this. But as you can see, it's not something which has a very clear-cut hadith or a very clear-cut issue. And that's why there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars. And the opinion that it is named by the companions, the names are given by the companions, has weight to it. It's not like a weak opinion or a 
infringe opinion because of the very reason that you mentioned. Right? Because when you go down that route of saying that the Prophet gave the Surah every name, okay, then why did the companions refer to it in so many different ways? Why not stick to that one name? Right? And Allah Azza wa knows best. But either way, as I said, you know, remember that this is an issue which I think has no practical like application in the sense that the names of the surahs are more or less issues that the, that the ummah has agreed upon, right? So, you know, everyone like calls surah asr, surah asr, and surah class, surah class, and fatiha is fatiha, and so on. This is a classical issue, right? In terms of just, it's interesting to note uh, when the names of the surahs started and how they started from, and so on. Okay, so the question uh, I have online from Fasiha is Wasn't it during Uthman ibn Affan's Khilafah when the whole Quran was compiled in a book? Weren't the names the same like which are found now? And that's also a very, like every question opens up another very interesting uh, topic of research. And that is that when the Prophet said, when in the time of Uthman عنه, when the Quran was compiled, did the Quran have the names of the surahs in them? So when the companions compiled the Quran, did they write Surah Al-Baqarah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alif Lam Mim, Dalik Al-Kitab, or Surah Al-Kawthar, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Inna Atina, like it is today, right? And it seems that Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best is that they didn't. In the time of Uthman radiAllahu anhu, and the early copies of the Mus'haf didn't have the names of the surahs in them, right? And that's why you have opinions and you have statements from like the likes of Imam Malik, rahimahullah Taala, when they would say Jarrid Al-Quran. Don't put anything into the Qur'an that isn't from the Qur'an. Meaning anything that isn't Qur'an shouldn't be in the Qur'an. That includes names of the surah. Right? Anything. And to the extent that in the classical times, like the early like uh, narrations that we have, they didn't even like people to have dots and vowels in the Qur'an. Because that wasn't the way in which it was written in the time of Quraysh, right? in the time of Uthman As we said, right? and we, we touched upon this topic last year, that the actual original script of Arabic was written without dots and vowels. Dots and vowels came later on when the Ummah expanded and non-Arabs accepted Islam and they came and they were non-Arabs and they were familiar with how to read Arabic and when they were in dots and they were in vowels they would make mistakes and they would recite incorrectly and read incorrectly and so then they had to put in those dots and those vowels and that also became an issue of Ijma'ah. Right, the scholars agreed upon that and the Ummah has accepted it and so on and so forth. But the original copies, right, the first, the original, like if you go back, well, back into the time of Imam Malik, which we're talking about the second century of Islam, and very early on, the Quran didn't have dots. And they didn't have, they didn't have uh, vowels and so on. The Arabs had the ability to read Arabic without that stuff. Just as today, right, someone that knows classical Arabic, knows actual, uh, actual Arabic, right, what they call Fusha. Right, which is, uh, what, what's the name of that? What do you call Fusha? Not a dialect, but for actual Arabic itself. What's the title of that? Yeah, what's the name of that? Extended Arabic, whatever. Right, uh, the Queen's English. <laughs> what's the version of that in Arabic? <laughs> the King's Arabic? Anyway, so that, that actual Arabic itself, today, the Arabic, like in, if you just to open a book, right, go to the book of Tafsir and so on, they don't have vowels on it. They have the dots and stuff, but they don't have vowels. But if you know Arabic, you know how to read that, right? You know how it makes sense, just by virtue of knowing the Arabic language. It was the same in that time, but they obviously didn't have vowels. Right? They didn't need vowels. Because they understood that can only be 
And that's why the difference in qiraat, when you have differences in words, it comes from that. The fact that there were no vowels and there were no dots. And therefore, as long as it fit within that script of Arabic, it was considered to be something which was an accepted recitation of the Qur'an if it became mutawatir and fulfilled all of those conditions. And that's why, in, in, for example, in Surah Al-Jurat, when Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, in ja'akum fasikum bi nabai, or you who believe, if someone brings you news, in our recitation we say, in the majority actually it says, fata bayyanu, fata bayyanu, then seek to clarify. In the Qira'ah of Hamza and others, it is, fata thabbatu, not fata bayyanu, fata thabbatu, thabbut means get proof, evidence, right, verify. And it's very similar in meaning, clarify, verify, very similar in meaning, but it adds something slightly different to obviously the overall meaning. But those are both mutawatir. And they follow the same script of the Musab Uthman radiallahu anhu. But because they didn't have dots, you obviously had that, um, you know, and that's why you have those qira'at, right? And that is also from obviously the uh, miraculous nature of the Quran. The second issue, therefore, is the ordering of the surahs of the Qur'an. Is that tawqifi or ijtihad? So the fact that the ordering of the surah of the Qur'an is from what? Fatiha to Nas. Is that ordering of the surahs, Fatiha, Baqarah, Al-Imran, Al-Nisa, Al-Ma'idah, Al-Aam, A'raq, so on and so forth, all the way to Ikhlas, Falaq, Nas. Was that something which was set by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Or again, was it something which the companions, Radiallahu Anhum, did? Right? And again, you have those two opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir and amongst scholars generally. The first opinion is that it was something which was done by the companions. Right? And it is said that this is um, the opinion that is attributed to Imam Malik ta'ala, and others from amongst the scholars. And uh, in our time, Shaykh bin Baz has the same opinion and other scholars as well. That they, the, the ordering of the surahs of the Quran was made by the ijtihad of the companions and other scholars said no it was given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or given to the Prophet and the Prophet pleased for us the ordering of the surahs of the Quran and from the people who said this is Al-Qurmani in his book Al-Burhan Ibn Faris Al-Zarkashi again Al-Bayhaqi he said for example the Quran at the time of the Prophet was placed in order in terms of the surahs and in terms of the verses within the surah. Ibn Atiyah again also said that, that the surahs of the Quran, its, its ordering was known by the Prophet uh, was given by the Prophet and it was known in the lifetime of the Prophet uh, And Abu Ja'far said that there are many narrations that show that this is to be the case. And he gives as an example of one of those narrations, the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anh that he said, Bani Israel, Surah Bani Israel, Al-Kahf, Maryam, Taha, and Anbiya were from the early revelations. And he mentions them in what? In, in order. Right? Bani Israel, which is Surah Isra, Kahf, Maryam, Taha, Anbiya, they were from the early revelations. And he says, and they are from the old Quran that I used to memorize, right? It's from the first revelations that I memorized. And so you have a number of scholars who also have that opinion. And Imam Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah ta'ala, said, the 
the ordering of the surahs of the Quran, the fact that it was placed in order by the Prophet it is not far-fetched to say that it is tawqifi. And from that which shows that it may be tawqifi is what is mentioned by Imam Ahmad and Abu Dawood on the authority of Aus ibn Hudayfa that he said that we asked the companions of the Prophet uh, we said, how do you read the Quran? How do you like apportion your reading of the Quran? Right? Just as today someone says, I read one surah or I read, for example, 10 pages or I read half a juzah. How do you portion the surahs of the Quran at a time before the Quran obviously is compiled in the way that we understand it to be today? They said, we do six surahs, then five surahs, then seven surahs, then nine surahs, then eleven surahs, then thirteen surahs, and then the rest of the Quran from Surah Qaf until the end. Right? And the fact that they apportion it in that way, he says, this shows that the Quran had a set way that the companions knew from the time of the Prophet. And those scholars will also say that when Jibreel came in the final year of the life of the Prophet and he revised the Quran with him in Ramadan twice from beginning to end, then he was given in, in order. And there are narrations from Uthman and from other companions that they said that when the Prophet would have a revelation of the Quran, he would come to the companions and he would say, this verse goes here, before this verse and that verse, and he would tell them exactly in which surah and which place to put it. And that is why the reading of the Quran has always been the same. Right, the reading of the Quran has always been the same in terms of the structure of the verses. Even though there is a difference of opinion, as we said in some of the surahs, right? So some of the companions, it is said, for example, Ali radiallahu an in his own personal mushaf, he would order the surahs of the Quran chronologically, right? And it said, for example, as we mentioned before, that some of the scholars made Quraysh and Feed one surah, or Anfal and Tawbah one surah, and so on and so forth. So you have those differences of opinion, no doubt. Um, but it's something which then, again, it is something which the, the um, classical Arabic, see, that's the classical Arabic. Anyway, um, so anyway, so, uh, yeah, so, I can do it for all Yeah, so again, the ordering of the solar Quran is something which, again, is, has no practical application in the sense that, actually, it does have a practical application. In the sense that there is, there are, for example, amongst uh, modern Orientalists and so on, there is, if you look in the world of academia, people who say that the Quran should be reordered to make it chronological again, so that you can understand it in that way. But the Quran is not a chron- chronological book; it's not meant to be read in its chronological order, and that's one of the the, the reasons, uh, or one of the things that gives the argument that says that it is tawqif from the Prophet's strength, is that the Quran isn't a book that is read in chronological order, it is a book that has verses that connect to other verses and stories that connect to other, other stories and subjects that connect to other subjects because of the relevance between those topics. And that's why when we mentioned last week the science of Munasabat, which looks at the relevance between these verses and these surahs, it is very interesting because of how those scholars make those connections between those surahs and those verses and Allah Azza wa Jalla's verse. Finally, before we conclude, um, the names of the, I have eight here that I found authentic relations for, but the Prophet gave them names. He gave them names. The first of them is Surah Al-Fatiha, right? and that's mentioned in a number of hadith. The from them is the hadith of Abu Sa'id ibn al-Mu'alla, that is mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari, that he says, 
and he and he mentions the names of the different. He mentions actually a number of names of the hadith for Surah Al-Fatiha. Number two, Surah Al-Baqarah, as is in the hadith of Uqba ibn Amr, also in Sahih Bukhari, that the Prophet said, "Man qara'a bil ayatini min akhiri Surah Al-Baqarah fi laylatin kafata." Whoever reads the last two verses of Surah Al-Baqarah before they sleep at night or at night, then they will be sufficient for him. They will be sufficient for him. And in this hadith, Surah Al-Baqarah is named as Surah Al-Baqarah. And there are actually a number of hadith that mention Surah Al-Baqarah by name. Surah Ali Imran is number three. And that is in the hadith of Al-Nawas ibn Sam'an in Sahih Muslim. The Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Yu'ta bil-Qur'ani yawm al-Qiyamah wa ahlihi al-lazina kanu ya'maluna bihi taqdumuhu Surah Al-Baqarah wa Ali Imran. The Qur'an will be brought on the Day of Judgment along with its people who used to work in accordance with it and at the head of it will be Surah Baqarah and Ali Imran. Right? And that is in Sahih Muslim. The next Surah is Surah Hud. Right? And this is the Hadith. Hud and his sisters, but the other narration that mentions name uh, surahs by name, and in the same hadith mentions other surahs by its first verse. Right? So this is the hadith of Abu Bakr radiallahu an, that is authentic, uh, in which the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was said, uh, the Abu Bakr radiallahu an said to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, "O Messenger of Allah, you have grown old," and he said, "Shayyabatni, Hudun wa akhawatuha." It is Surah Hud and its sisters that have made me grow old. In the other narration of the same hadith, he named them. He named the surahs. And he said, Hud, Walwaqi'ah, Walmursalat. So those three are three surahs that its names we also therefore have in the Sunnah. Alwaqi'ah, Almursalat, and Hud. And then he said, Wa'amma yatasa'alun, wa idha shamsu kuwira. So those two surahs, he mentions them by the first class. Right? That's very interesting why the person gives some, some of them names. And, and that kind of comes back to your question, always. Well, it was common therefore the Prophet giving names and also knowing, uh, mentioning them by their first verses. And that is in a tirmidhi. This hadith is in a tirmidhi and it is authentic. Number six, seven. Okay, so number seven, Al Tahaf. Right, as in the hadith in Sahih Muslim of Abu Darda, Radiallahu Anna, Hakkad Ashra Ayatin, Min Awali Surah Al Tahaf, Usima Min Fitna Min Dijjal. Whoever memorizes the first ten verses of Surah Tahf will be saved from the trial of the Dajjal. Uh, the next one, number eight, is Surah Al-Hajj. And this is the last one that I have, so eight. Surah Al-Hajj, and this is in the hadith in the Tirmidhi of Uqba ibn Amr, radiyallahu an, that he said, O Messenger of Allah, why has Surah Al-Hajj been given the virtue of having two sajdas in it? Right, so the prostrations of recitation when you recite in the Quran and you make sajda, there are a number of them in the Quran, but in Surah Al Hajj there are two. It is only Surah of the Quran in which there are two sajdas. He said, Yes, and whoever doesn't make the two sajdas, then let him not read the surah. Let him not read them. So this is the, uh, in, this, in this hadith, even when the Prophet doesn't call it Surah Al Hajj, but he affirms the name. Right? He affirms the name because the companion says, Why in Surah Al Hajj are there two sajdas? And the Prophet you know, obviously accepts the name as being Surah Al Hajj. Right? So those are the eight that I found uh, as authentic narrations. And there are others that are weak narrations that I found, but I didn't mention them. And others that are authentic, but they mention the first verse. 
right, of the, of the name as the name of the surah. So I didn't mention them either, uh, because then that's like slightly different than what we're saying here. But Allah Azza wa knows best, and if anyone online who here wants to be searching to that and looking to that a bit more detail, I think that would be an interesting topic of research. So that's common. You will find that. So for example, when the companions described how the Prophet prayed and the surahs that he would recite, so they will say that he read, for example, in, in, in Salat al-Jum'ah, Qaf al-Qur'an al-Majeed. That's very common, right? When they're describing the Prophet and what he did. Or for the Fajr prayer of Friday, that he would read, Alif Lam Sajda and Al Ata'ala Al-Insan, right? And they mention the opening name of the verse, or the opening words of the verse, right? So that's very common. But I want you to actually look for the actual names that we know them by. Otherwise, I think that's like fairly common. And Exactly, right. So I'm looking for the actual name where the person, but that shows that it's something which was known, right? And that's the, the you know, Allah Azza wa Jalla's best. That's why it seems to be a stronger position that those names were something that were the companions knew from the time of the Prophet. Because the fact that they're referring to these surahs as Surah Taha and Surah this and Surah that is something which therefore shows that it's not something which each companion came and he just gave their own um, interpretation. Discrimination is what we mentioned, the hadith of Ibn Abbas. Is it one surah, is it two surahs, and so on? Is it from the Sabah Qibal? And that's why we said, right? Like, I think we mentioned previously that many of the scholars who consider called the Sabah Qibal, they, they gather those surahs together. So I think we're going to finish there now because it is uh, the alarm's gone for Farsha. So, Jazakallah Khair, inshallah, next week we will be back. What time is it next week? What time are we here? Nobody know? Quickly. Very quickly. No, 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 Maghrib is going early next week, right? Maghrib is 6.40. So anyway, hopefully someone will pray up on, on, on the chat or the group or something, inshallah. So keep an eye on the Facebook and stuff, inshallah, and, and we'll mention that. Barakallahu feekum, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa Oh. Uh...